0: Chapter 26 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Black Mountains, Haunts of Predatory Indians, Their Wild and Broken Appearance, Superstitions Concerning Them, Thunder Spirits, Singular Noises in the Mountains, Secret Mines, Hidden Treasures, Mountains in Labor, Scientific Explanation, impassable defiles black-tailed deer the bighorn or asanta prospect from a lofty height plain with herds of buffalo distant peaks of the rocky mountains alarms in the camp tracks of grizzly bears dangerous nature of this animal adventures of william cannon and john day with grizzly bears mr hunt and his party were now on the skirts of the black hills or black mountains as they are sometimes called an extensive chain lying about a hundred miles east of the rocky mountains and stretching in a northeast direction from the south fork of the nebraska or platte river to the great north bend of the missouri the sierra or ridge of the black hills in fact forms the dividing line between the waters of the missouri and those of the arkansas and the mississippi and gives rise to the cheyenne the little missouri and several tributary streams of the yellowstone the wild recesses of these hills like those of the rocky mountains are retreats and working places for broken and predatory tribes and it was among them that the remnants of the cheyenne tribe took refuge as has been stated from their conquering enemies the sioux the black hills are chiefly composed of sandstone and in many places are broken into savage cliffs and precipices and present the most singular and fantastic forms sometimes resembling towns and castellated fortresses the ignorant inhabitants of plains are prone to clothe the mountains that bound their horizon with fanciful and superstitious attributes thus the wandering tribes of the prairies who often behold clouds gathering round the summits of these hills and lightning flashing and thunder pealing from them when all the neighbouring plains are serene and sunny consider them the abode of the genii or thunder spirits who fabricate storms and tempests on entering their defiles therefore they often hang offerings on the trees or place them on the rocks to propitiate the invisible lords of the mountains and procure good weather and successful hunting and they attach unusual significance to the echoes which haunt the precipices this superstition may also have arisen in part from a natural phenomenon of a singular nature in the most calm and serene weather and at all times of the day or night successive reports are now and then heard among these mountains resembling the discharge of several pieces of artillery similar reports were heard by messrs lewis and clark in the rocky mountains which they say were attributed by the indians to the bursting of the rich mines of silver contained in the bosom of the mountains in fact these singular explosions have received fanciful explanations from learned men and have not been satisfactorily accounted for even by philosophers they are said to occur frequently in brazil Vasconcelos, a jesuit father describes one which he heard in the sierra or mountain region of piratininga and which he compares to the discharge of a park of artillery the indians told him that it was an explosion of stones the worthy father had soon a satisfactory proof of the truth of their information for the very place was found where a rock had burst and exploded from its entrails a stony mass like a bombshell and of the size of a bull's heart this mass was broken either in its ejection or its fall and wonderful was the internal organization revealed it had a shell harder even than iron within which were arranged like the seeds of a pomegranate jewels of various colours some transparent as crystals others of a fine red and others of mixed hues the same phenomenon is said to occur occasionally in the adjacent province of guayra where stones of the bigness of a man's hand are exploded with a loud noise from the bosom of the earth and scatter about glittering and beautiful fragments that look like precious gems but are of no value the indians of the oriana also tell of horrible noises heard occasionally in the paraguaxo which they consider the throes and groans of the mountains endeavouring to cast forth the precious stones hidden within its entrails others have endeavoured to account for these discharges of mountain artillery on humbler principles attributing them to the loud reports made by the disruption and fall of great masses of rock reverberated and prolonged by the echoes others to the disengagement of hydrogen produced by subterraneous beds of coal in a state of ignition in whatever way this singular phenomenon may be accounted for the existence of it appears to be well established it remains one of the lingering mysteries of nature which throw something of a supernatural charm over her wild mountain solitudes and we doubt whether the imaginative reader will not rather join with the poor indian in attributing it to the thunder spirits or the guardian genii of unseen treasures than to any commonplace physical cause whatever might be the supernatural influences among these mountains the travellers found their physical difficulties hard to cope with they made repeated attempts to find a passage through or over the chain but were as often turned back by impassable barriers sometimes a defile seemed to open a practicable path but it would terminate in some wild chaos of rocks and cliffs which it was impossible to climb the animals of these solitary regions were different from those they had been accustomed to the black-tailed deer would bound up the ravines on their approach and the bighorn would gaze fearlessly down upon them from some impending precipice or skip playfully from rock to rock these animals are only to be met with in mountainous regions the former is larger than the common deer but its flesh is not equally esteemed by hunters it has very large ears and the tip of the tail is black from which it derives its name the bighorn is so named from its horns which are of a great size and twisted like those of a ram It is called by some the argali by others the ibex though differing from both of these animals the mandans call it the asata a name much better than the clumsy appellation which it generally bears it is of the size of a small elk or large deer and of a dun colour excepting the belly and round the tail where it is white in its habits it resembles the goat frequenting the rudest precipices cropping the herbage from their edges and like the chamois bounding lightly and securely among dizzy heights where the hunter dares not venture it is difficult therefore to get within shot of it ben jones the hunter however in one of the passes of the black hills succeeded in bringing down a big horn from the verge of a precipice the flesh of which was pronounced by the gourmands of the camp to have the flavor of excellent mutton Baffled in his attempts to traverse this mountain chain, Mr. Hunt skirted along it to the southwest, keeping it on the right, and still in hopes of finding an opening. At an early hour one day he encamped in a narrow valley on the banks of a beautifully clear but rushy pool, surrounded by thickets bearing abundance of wild cherries, currants, and yellow and purple gooseberries while the afternoon's meal was in preparation mr hunt and mr mackenzie ascended to the summit of the nearest hill from whence aided by the purity and transparency of the evening atmosphere they commanded a vast prospect on all sides below them extended a plain dotted with innumerable herds of buffalo some were lying among the herbage others roaming in their unbounded pastures while many were engaged in fierce contests like those already described their low bellowings reaching the ear like the hoarse murmurs of the surf on a distant shore far off in the west they descried a range of lofty mountains printing the clear horizon some of them evidently capped with snow these they supposed to be the bighorn mountains so called from the animal of that name with which they abound they are a spur of the great rocky chain the hill from whence mr hunt had this prospect was according to his computation about two hundred and fifty miles from the ericra village on returning to the camp mr hunt found some uneasiness prevailing among the canadian voyageurs in straying among the thickets they had beheld tracks of grizzly bears in every direction doubtless attracted thither by the fruit to their dismay they now found that they had encamped in one of the favourite resorts of this dreaded animal the idea marred all the comfort of the encampment as night closed the surrounding thickets were peopled with terrors insomuch that according to mr hunt they could not help starting at every little breeze that stirred the bushes the grizzly bear is the only really formidable quadruped of our continent He is the favorite theme of the hunters of the Far West, who describe him as equal in size to a common cow, and of prodigious strength. He makes battle if assailed, and often, if pressed by hunger, is the assailant. If wounded, he becomes furious, and will pursue the hunter. His speed exceeds that of a man, but is inferior to that of a horse in attacking he rears himself on his hind legs and springs the length of his body woe to horse or rider that comes within the sweep of his terrific claws which are sometimes nine inches in length and tear everything before them at the time we are treating of the grizzly bear was still frequent on the missouri and in the lower country but like some of the broken tribes of the prairie he has gradually fallen back before his enemies and is now chiefly to be found in the upland regions in rugged fastnesses like those of the black hills and the rocky mountains here he lurks in caverns or holes which he has digged in the sides of hills or under the roots and trunks of fallen trees like the common bear he is fond of fruits and mast and roots the latter of which he will dig up with his fore-claws he is carnivorous also and will even attack and conquer the lordly buffalo dragging his huge carcass to the neighbourhood of his den that he may prey upon it at his leisure the hunters both white and red men consider this the most heroic game they prefer to hunt him on horseback and will venture so near as sometimes to singe his hair with the flash of the rifle the hunter of the grizzly bear however must be an experienced hand and know where to aim at a vital part for of all quadrupeds he is the most difficult to be killed he will receive repeated wounds without flinching and rarely is a shot mortal unless through the head or heart that the dangers apprehended from the grizzly bear at this night encampment were not imaginary Was proved on the following morning. Among the hired men of the party was one William Cannon, who had been a soldier at one of the frontier posts and entered into the employ of Mr. Hunt at Mackinac. He was an inexperienced hunter and a poor shot, for which he was much bantered by his more adroit comrades. Piqued at their raillery, he had been practicing ever since he had joined the expedition, but (laughs) without success in the course of the present afternoon he went forth by himself to take a lesson in venery and to his great delight he had the good fortune to kill a buffalo as he was a considerable distance from the camp he cut out the tongue and some of the choice bits and made them into a parcel and slinging them on his shoulders by a strap passed round his forehead as the voyageurs carry packages of goods set out all glorious for the camp anticipating a triumph over his brother hunters in passing through a narrow ravine he heard a noise behind him and looking round beheld to his dismay a grizzly bear in full pursuit apparently attracted by the scent of the meat cannon had heard so much of the invulnerability of this tremendous animal that he never attempted to fire but slipping the strap from his forehead let go the buffalo meat and ran for his life The bear did not stop to regale himself with the game, but kept on after the hunter. He had nearly overtaken him when Cannon reached a tree, and throwing down his rifle, scrambled up it. The next instant Bruin was at the foot of the tree, but as this species of bear does not climb, he contented himself with turning the chase into a blockade. Night came on, In the darkness Cannon could not perceive whether or not the enemy maintained his station, but his fears pictured him rigorously mounting guard. He passed the night, therefore, in the tree, a prey to dismal fancies. In the morning the bear was gone. Cannon warily descended the tree, gathered up his gun, and made the best of his way back to the camp, without venturing to look after his buffalo meat while on this theme we will add another anecdote of an adventure with a grizzly bear told of john day the kentucky hunter but which happened at a different period of the expedition day was hunting in company with one of the clerks of the company a lively youngster who was a great favorite with the veteran but whose vivacity he had continually to keep in check they were in search of deer when suddenly a huge grizzly bear emerged from a thicket about thirty yards distant rearing himself upon his hind legs with a terrific growl and displaying a hideous array of teeth and claws the rifle of the young man was levelled in an instant but john day's iron hand was as quickly upon his arm be quiet boy be quiet exclaimed the hunter between his clenched teeth and without turning his eyes from the bear, they remained motionless. The monster regarded them for a time, then lowering himself on his forepaws, slowly withdrew. He had not gone many paces before he again returned, reared himself on his hind legs, and repeated his menace. Day's hand was still on the arm of his young companion. He again pressed it hard and kept repeating between his teeth, "'Quiet boy!' keep quiet. Though the latter had not made a move since his first prohibition, the bear again lowered himself on all fours, retreated some twenty yards further, and again turned, reared, showed his teeth, and growled. This third menace was too much for the game spirit of John Day. "'By Jove!' exclaimed he. "'I can stand this no longer!' and in an instant a ball from his rifle whizzed into his foe. The wound was not mortal, but luckily it dismayed instead of enraged the animal, and he retreated into the thicket. Day's companion reproached him for not practicing the caution which he enjoined upon others. "'Why, boy,' replied the veteran, "'caution is caution, but one must not put up with too much, even from a bear.' Would you have me suffer myself to be bullied all day by a varmint? End of chapter 26